have your Bibles, you can just kind of have them open to Luke 15. We're gonna be kind of talking about those three parables just really quickly. But before we do, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you for today. We just thank you for uh, the ability to gather in this place to worship you, to bring you honor and glory. And as we um, examine your word to us today, I just invite your Holy Spirit uh, into this place uh, that you will uh, speak through me, that the things that uh, you want to, to say will just be translated in the air and that people's hearts will be open uh, to the message that you have for them. Uh, so God, we thank you for the ways that you love us and call us and to be in community together. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. So um, a little bit ago, we talked about this idea of being lost. And if you were here, some of you even shared really great stories of like the greatest times you were ever lost. And um, I, before GPS, spent most of my life lost. Um, but I want you to kind of shift that thinking for a second. And if you are a kid, if you're a kid or when you were a kid, if you remember the time that you got lost as a kid, like in the mall, that kind of thing, or if you're a parent, do you remember the time you lost your kid? And a lot of times it has nothing to do with you and has everything to do with the kid that's just sort of like, oh, I'm gonna go look at this thing over here, right? And then you can't, you lost your, and didn't get your eyes on them. And what's the first thing that happens? Panic, sheer and utter panic. Your heart starts going, you just, you can feel it. And you're just sort of like, and then you go searching everywhere and you try to, you try to look and find. And, and, and the kids, half the time when you find them, they didn't know they were lost to begin with. So they're like, I just went to go check out things over here. I'm in the toy section of Meyer, mom, no big deal. In Harlow's book, he has a similar story with his uh, daughter um, was lost uh, on the beach. And he is, they're at the, uh, the dunes, right? And so they're kind of going out and they're camping, familiar uh, with the place. And all of a sudden they look around and their daughter, his daughter Becca, just, she's not there. So he's in a panic, right? Imagine all the things. And he's running, like Baywatch style down the beach, running to try to find this, find this kid. And he knows his wife's off in the other direction and the family's looking and there's panic. And he sees his daughter, right? He sees her. And so he's like, I can't freak her out, right? So he like goes back down to a stroll and tries to catch his breath because he doesn't want to be bawling and cause her sort of trauma. And she just greets him and is like, hi, dad. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. She had no idea that she was even lost. And I think that's so many of the people that, that we meet. It's the people in our neighborhoods that we think because we see them pull out of their driveway every morning and head to a church, that that must mean they're okay. But I think there's a lot of people in our life and in our world and in our communities that don't understand the dangers that are surrounding them and they're lost and they don't even know it, right? They're safe in a church. They've got a family that, that loves them or they're just, their life is going along really well and they feel like they have everything that they need uh, to be successful, to have the job that they want, the family that they want, and they sort of don't know. But as a parent, you're the ones that are losing your mind and panicking and doing everything you can to search and find. It's like a search and rescue mission. And we know that's the way our Heavenly Father works with us. He's always on a search and rescue mission, never going to, never going to stop, is gonna be uh, you know, in that sort of panic mode of finding his kids, right? 
And we had a little time to unpack the story of the prodigal son a few weeks ago. And we kind of unpacked it and looked at all the different ways in which uh, the father and the brother and the, the prodigal son that came home, they all had an element of being lost somewhere in that story. We understand that God cares about lost people. We talk about it all the time. God sent his son to seek and save the lost. And Jesus spent all his time with those kinds of people. And I would say those kinds of people because I want it to sound like that. Because that's sort of the connotation that, that lost, that we kind of talk about the lost, as if they're those people and we're these people and if they can become one of us. And it doesn't always feel great. But when we take an, an open scripture and want to find the truth about who God is and, and, what, and, and the way that Jesus spent his time, the gospel is not about making people more religious, more churchy. It's about finding the lost and bringing them home. And that's what we want to focus on, right? And Luke, Luke tells us three different stories, all roughly with the same message. But he just keeps hitting it hard, 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 hard. In Luke 15, there's three uh, separate stories because he's pretty serious about this message. And the first one is the parable of the lost sheep. And it's a pretty basic story. If you have your Bibles in front of you, you can kind of read the whole thing. But it's basically the shepherd is out with a sheep and he's in a herd of 99 of them. And one goes, one goes off and he leaves that to go after the one. And it says in verse six, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Right? 99 and he goes and leaves the one. And then there's this idea that they're celebrating over just the one. In the next story, it's a story about a, a lost coin. If you have ever lost something in your house, you know what this feels like. Especially the smaller it is, the more crazy you go. Like if you, you, ex, you took your driver's license out of your wallet and you put it somewhere and then you're like, where is that thing? And you turn everything up and in your house. You have destroyed your bedroom and your living room. Or if you have a child, right? And they lose like the little tiny binky. And you're like, well, everyone stop what you're doing. We must find this thing. And you turn it upside down. That's what this woman did to find this lost coin. Or suppose a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the whole house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's the exact same story with a different illustration. He just keeps hammering at home because one sinner, one, we're not talking about, about numbers, we're talking about relationships. And when we talk about sin, we're not talking about, sometimes when I say the word sin, I feel like we all go towards acts of sinfulness. Things in our life that are sinful, people that we know that are like, oh, I know what sin you're talking about. You mean this friend in my life and that person in my life and they're, they're, they're on a bad path. Most of the time when Jesus is talking about sin, he's talking about capital S sin, being apart from God. Being a sinner means simply not being in relationship with Jesus. He is far less worried about all the little things that we do or we don't do or how we do it right or don't do it right. It's this thing about being apart 
from the Father. That's the thing. When he talks about sin and being lost, it's being away from God, away from Jesus. And he says, so it takes just one sinner, one person who is outside of the Father being found to light fireworks and throw a party in heaven. Every time one comes to know who Jesus is, life gets exciting. Life gets exciting for the people of heaven. Jesus spent his entire ministry with people who were standing on the outside of religion. We talked a lot about that, right? We tend to be far more like the Pharisees and the religious rulers of the day. And Jesus spent his whole time worrying and caring about the people that were outside of that and then trying to change the hearts of the people that were inside this idea of religion. So if Jesus spends his ministry with those outside, and we know that, we've talked about it, the people that aren't welcome, the people that are on the fringes, this begs to the question of, of why. Why does he do that? One, I think they were probably a lot more fun. What we, right? what we know about the Pharisees, they weren't a really great uh, crowd to hang out with. I don't think they had a lot of fun because they were observing all the rules all the time. But the heart of it, I think, is that both groups were sinners. But one, the one group knew that they were. The rest of them are, are just stuffed to the gills uh, with spiritual pride, right? The Pharisees, the, the people that were inside had this idea of being so together and so with it and doing all the things right that they too had no need to be in a relationship with God. They were lost. They just didn't know it. And the sinners that Jesus spent his time talking about, they knew that they were. And I, and I love that. Because the church and Christians right? We want to associate ourselves with God, with Jesus, with, with that loving kindness, but we spend a large majority of our time in the, in the condemnation realm of things. The fact that we've kind of got some of our stuff together, we know what it's like to be in a relationship with Jesus, and we have an idea of exactly how it's supposed to be, and the people that fall outside of that don't fit in. So if we could stop condemning the world and start loving sinners, sinners meaning those who are apart from the Father, then we would be doing what God, I think, calls us to do. Not just to witness to them, just to be around them, but to know them, to love them, to take time to be in relationship with them. That's what God did for us. He fell in love with us and he fell in love with the world. God sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save it. It's the greatest news. He didn't want to say to everybody, listen, these people down there have got major problems and they are not doing it right. So the only thing that's gonna save this thing is if I send my son Jesus to fix it. That was not the heart of the father, right? The heart of the father was out of my great love for my people, I'm gonna send my son Jesus to show you, to, to be love incarnate for you so that you can understand the depths of my love for you. And because that's the way he loved us, that's the way he calls us to love. He didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that's the job that he gives us. We get to go out into the world as fully loved by Jesus to then go and be that same love, to be an ambassador of that, right? 
you know, ambassadors go to different countries and represent the United States and all matters of state and things like that. We get to be those same kind of ambassadors, but for Jesus. And the most important thing you can ever do is to love well, long before you ever share the gospel in your words, right? But oftentimes we have this sort of mentality that other people are gonna take care of that, right? I'm busy, I'm in a spot in my life where I just, I got the kids and they're in stuff and I'm, I'm carting back and forth or um, we've got, you know, it's summer and so with summer comes all the things with the house and the yard and the spreading of the mulch. Is that what house people do? I live in a condo. But I think you guys are always busy with your houses, you people with houses, right? There are things in our life that sort of keep us away or we say, I'm not qualified. It's easy for you to say, you've had training, you're a pastor, you've worked for a church for a really long time, your personality, you're made for that. You, you should go do that. But you are God's notice to the lost, right? We're the messengers, but we're also the message because we carry it with him. We, we love because Christ first loved us, therefore he takes up residence in us. So we are the messengers and we are the message. Slide three, will you, will you put that up there? The last story is um, the parable of the lost son. And we, we know that, we know that well. I feel like that's the, of all of the, this section of Luke, this is the one that gets the most stage time because it's longer. You can unpack a little bit more. Uh, and we spent this time, right? This father, uh, the son has gone off and um, squandered his father's wealth. And we know that, but the father, remember, sees his son coming a long way off. And I just picture this, at this, if we were to put it right now in modern day, like the big picture windows that we have, I just imagine with a cup of coffee and just waiting, and every day he spends time waiting for his son to come home. And then he does, and he says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to, what? Celebrate. He throws a big party. And I think that's the kind of place that we talk about being is to take time to celebrate. There's, there's always joy in the finding of people that have been lost or disconnected and decide to come home. Whether they make this community their home or not. That's, I would love to see this place filled up. And when we move over to our new building, oh man, we've got room to grow and that would be amazing and wonderful. But that is not what we talk about when it means to, to, to be alive in Granville. We wanna provide a safe place for people, but it's about bringing the lost home, right? The shepherd invited his friends and neighbors over to celebrate because of the lost sheep. Celebrate, right? The woman, when she found the coin, so excited, friends and neighbors come over, celebrate. This, time, this small thing, she found a coin in her house. Come over and celebrate this idea that this Every little thing, every, every person, every one is valuable and important, right? The father whose son came home threw a party. We should be throwing parties all the time. At Alive in uh, Jenison right now, they're having a huge party at both services because there are 10 baptisms today, right? That's amazing. Some of them are infant and some of them are, some of them are going to be just like lately a little sprinkled and kissed and some of them are going to get dunked under the water and either way we celebrate. 
Because some have come home and come back and some are this covenant of being born into a family of believers and God knows them and loves them and calls them his. That's exciting. We wanna throw parties every time people come home. It's why God calls us to community. It's why the church is so important, right? We gather together, we invite our friends and neighbors to celebrate. Church is about a worship and offering and praise to God, but it should be seen as this, as this celebration for what God has done and the faithfulness of who he is and the bringing home of people that were lost. Finding a place for them when they feel like no other place is okay or to be safe or to be said, you're in this place, who you are right now, you're welcome. You don't have to change anything about yourself to be here with us. God cares about each of us and knows us so intimately down to the number of the hairs on our head. When I was a kid and people said, what would you wanna ask God? And that's like, I wanna say how many hairs I have. <laughs> be easy for Jeff. <laughs> you knew that was coming. But God has the capacity, right, to love more than one of us at a time. He doesn't love me more than he loves you. He doesn't love the Pope more than he loves the homeless woman. That's not the way that God works. And I, I think cognitively we know that. But I think our hearts have a different kind of time. Like there's not gonna be enough love. If you invite these people in, that aren't, that, aren't, that aren't like us, that are lost, is there enough, gonna be enough room for me? Next slide for me, Josh. Second Peter says it really well. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's Jesus saying, I didn't make heaven for a select few. That's not what it's about. I made it, for, I made it for everybody. I want everyone. And he wasn't talking to just pastors, just people in the church. He said, go to them into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You too. That means, that means you, that's your call. We have the same thing and, and yes, when you are in a position like mine, we, ha we get extra training. We get extra training, but then my job, right, as part is to start to equip you for that work because you've already, everything that you need, you've already been given. It's just the, the fear that we once have, right? We have, we sort of hide behind the fear of not doing it right. And then that keeps us from wanting to, to tell our story. And I think it's proven specifically tricky for us here in the good old US of A. We sort of live in this post-Christian era where we're no longer the predominant religion. And some I think could argue if we ever were really the predominant religion. And some of us, and when I say us, hear me say me, some of us can get on our soapboxes on social media, right? And we get to um, post and repost and share what we believe is right and what we believe is wrong. Talk amongst yourselves. We just throw it out there like a bomb and go, okay, this is what I believe. Tell me differently. And still others, we focus on the, sort of the energy of 
politics. And we're going to start to come into uh, another presidential election that will start to be divisive and we'll get mad at each other and we'll say things we don't mean. We focus our energy on politics trying to legislate some version of our morality. We love doing that. And some are just going to lock themselves away in their ivory tower and read books on theology and just keep to themselves and just be like, I got this. I'm going to do this by myself. None of that is effective, right? Christianity has always been more effective when it's been on the outside. Some historians would say that um, the worst thing that happened to the early church is when um, Constantine became a Christian, right? Then he made Christian the, the religion, the, na- the national religion of the day, and Christianity was in. And as soon as something becomes in, it gets all muddled, right? And then it's just, it, it, it loses some of that purity. Jesus calls us the salt of the earth, right? Have you heard that before? Have you ever been in a restaurant when a kid, maybe an adult, I don't know, unscrews the salt shaker <laughs> and then just gently puts it back on? I think they're like getting away from that because they make salt shakers without the, but you do that and you're like, oh, I'm so excited and I'm going to put um, salt on my mashed potatoes because mashed potatoes always need more salt. And so you just, and you're, oh, are you kidding me? And then you have this whole pile of salt all over your mashed potatoes. Salt only, apply, only uh, works well when it's applied to something that needs salt, right? If you have too much salt, it not only loses its effectiveness, but it's going to ruin a perfectly good meal. Stay with me. I know you're like, Tell, Carrie, you're not making a whole lot of sense. I know, I might be taking the metaphor too far, but I think that's what happened when the Holy Spirit allowed persecution in the, in the early church. Jerusalem was filled with these salty people and they were all clumped in one area and they needed to go out, right? For, them, for their saltiness to then be effective to the rest of the world. Does that ever feel like maybe that's part of our problem here in West Michigan sometimes? We talk about West Michigan being a unique place. If you are not from here, nobody understands it better than a transplant. Even if you've come from the east side of the state, people will say, it is different here, right? And that can be sometimes our problem is we're all clumped in sort of one area doing our thing and we have wonderful uh, communities and congregations and we do all the things together and we're always kind of one big pile of salt. Wouldn't it be more effective, right? If we, go, if we go out and we say sort of no to some of the other things that we could be doing in our wonderful Christian communities, but say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a, this season of my life, this time to go and be with other people. And maybe that means I'm not gonna be in another Bible study. Bible studies are so good and, if, and you should be in them and they're awesome. But if you've been in 35 Bible studies, maybe it's time to like, not be in one for a little bit so that you can go out and do the things that you're learning from your Bible study. Do you see what I'm saying? Nothing of that is fundamentally bad. The way that we do things isn't wrong. It's just often misguided. We get overexcited about something and then we go too far. 
right? The issue for us is that we oftentimes don't see people as lost anymore, right? Because we're generally irritated by how wrong we believe they are. You need to laugh because you know that's true about you because it is for sure true about me. If I ever want to get worked up, all I got to do is scroll. All I, oh, they are so wrong just sitting there in their wrongness, right? I want to judge them. I, and then I find myself getting mad about everything, right? Oh, you're posting so many selfies and now, oh my goodness, I know, you run, I get it. You know, all these things. And I'm just over here being judgy, judgy, judgy. I hope, that, I hope that by me admitting that, I'd, I'm glad I'm seeing some like, mm-hmm, I get it, because that means you are too, and then I don't feel so bad. But Jesus never saw sinners as wrong. Sinners, people apart from him. He didn't judge the woman who was caught in adultery. Do you remember that story? The Pharisees gathered around and wanted to stone this woman. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. Any of you who are without sin, feel free to cast the first stone. And the only stone that ever, that the sound you heard was them dropping because they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, nobody else can hear? The one person that could, the one person in that scenario with no sin, Jesus Christ, then I'm not gonna condemn you either because that's, that's not the way I do things because I love you. Because your sin is that you are apart from me and I want to make you a part of me. I, showed this, I shared this quote in our newsletter this week And if you are like the 90% of you who don't read the newsletter, (laughs) it's like mom guilt. Sorry about that. It's like my Kathy Longcore voice. All right. Uh, I want you to think about this quote and and mull it over this week. I wish I had a slide of it. I didn't think about it in time, but just sort of listen. I'll read it a couple times because it's so good. And it's in the newsletter. So, So seriously though, grab it. I'm not, that one wasn't a guilty thing. That was just information. In a time when we are more needed than ever, the church is pushing away the very ones who need the gospel because of our refusal to be more interested in advancing the kingdom of God than we are preserving America's moral foundation. I love it because it hurts me a little bit, but in all the right places. In a time where we are more needed than ever, the church is pushing away the very ones who need the gospel because our refusal to be more interested in advancing the kingdom of God than preserving America's moral foundation. Right, when someone is wrong, you set them straight. You you help make it right, right? When someone is lost, you go and find them. You embrace them. You rejoice because what once was lost is now is found. Wrong and lost not the same thing, not even remotely the same thing. It's our, not our job to change who people are. The gospel transforms. That's the work of Jesus. When, 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 people, when Jesus gets a hold of people, he does that work. It's our job to welcome and say, welcome back, welcome home, welcome for the first time. That's what he calls us to do. It's our job to welcome people home. If you didn't know this, we're Christian reform. And some people are like, oh, I know what Christian reform is. Uh, because you came from that tradition, that church, or because there's just a lot of them around here. Some of this, that has a really good connotation for some people, some people not so much. But here's what I love about being reformed is we have this wonderful, rich doctrine. And, and doctrine sometimes gets a bad rap because um, it's not super easy to read all the time. 
but it gives us this lens to which we view scripture. It's what makes denominations sort of different. It's just lenses in which we see the world, a pair of glasses, right, that help us see the world, see scripture, see Jesus. And we have this wonderful thing called the Heidelberg Catechism. And um, maybe some of you who are older having to remember memorizing the whole thing. But there's something in there that I was like, I'm gonna, this is how I wanna end. This is what I wanna share with you because this, this is the, the unifying thing of not only who we are as alive in Granville, but what we believe is part of being a larger denomination. And if you care, if you're familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism, it's Lord's Day 32. But it basically answers this basic question. Um, if grace is something that we can't earn, then, then why do we still do good? That's, that's a difficult thing. We, we talk about that all the time. If grace is something that we can't earn, if God's doing, and we talk about this all the time, God's doing all the work, right? So why then do we still wanna be, do good things? Why do we still want to proclaim the gospel? Why do we still talk about getting to know our neighbors and being in community? Here's the answer. To be sure, Christ has redeemed us by his blood. But we do good because Christ by his spirit is also renewing us to be like himself. So that in all our living, we may show that we are thankful to God for all he has done for us and so that he may be praised through us. And this is, this is my favorite part. And we do good so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits so that by our godly living, our neighbors will be won over for Christ. Why are we spending time talking about neighborhoods? Because it's exactly what he calls us to. Helping people come home. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are and the, the ways that you love us ridiculously. The amount of love that you have for us is so overwhelming. And I don't know what it is a part of, of, our, of our human nature that often wants us to keep sometimes that love for ourselves. Like, like in a family where there's kids and there's this sibling rivalry kind of thing, I think sometimes that can be the heart of who we are. And so God, I pray that uh, through these next few weeks together as we continue to talk about and discover um, how to connect with people, how to um, show people your love in really tangible ways that you just open our hearts and give us experiences and, and provide opportunities for us to do that. Whether it's meeting somebody we, we don't know at Music in the Park this week, um, help us to lay down some of the things in our lives that we've been doing for a really long time to make room for people. Because if there's one thing we can be absolutely certain of, uh, certain of is that you love us. You love us individually and uniquely. And we want to be part of, of, of the sharing and spreading of that love. You tell us that the harvest is ready. And so we want to go out and welcome people. You're welcome here, not for, for who they are, or who they could be, simply because you love them. Help that to be our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen.